Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm with Anne. Anne Villano is a mixed media artist, social work graduate student, military spouse, and mama bear of two. Every time I read stuff like that, I'm like, how does everybody do it all? (laughs) (laughs) She has a a bachelor's of fine arts in graphic design, soon to be a featured writer, and has struggled with bipolar depression her entire life. Yes, welcome to the club. I feel you on that. Um, it wasn't until her family experienced a year of unaccompanied tour five days after her youngest son was born that art literally saved her life through this. She discovered a passion for using her gift of art to help others in the military community cope with specific stressors, stressors shared by all branches. So welcome to the podcast, Anne. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Well, I'd love to have you take us back. I'm always interested when somebody first noticed that they have something that's not quite right going on there. I never know how to like say that. I'm like, I'm not trying to be offensive here, but when when people ask me, um, I'm like, well, don't ask me like when I felt like I was crazy because that would be offensive. But you know, when you feel like something's not, there's not something that's not quite quote unquote normal yes or what's defined as normal Um, right yes um so I recently I thought that it was middle school high school that I first started to feel this way the extreme um, manic depression anxiety surfacing um and through therapy and really through learning in graduate um school just kind of the stages that we all the developmental stages we go through I now realize that um It was really more around nine or 10. One of my earliest memories is really frantically cleaning the household so that the chaos that was happening around me, um, it was like my way of coping and also my way of trying to help my parents who were experiencing things that were out of their control. Um, So that's kind of how early I can go back to just remembering that anxious feeling, that weight on my chest and um, doing something to distract me or to try to cope. That was more of a manic thing. Um, so yeah, but it definitely, um, once I hit adolescence, it definitely resurfaced again. Um, I was actually, I call myself a high functioning, um, anxiety ridden person. Me too. Yeah. Um, that I've, I've kind of had this conversation with, they think that, to have a mental disorder, you are kind of incapable of doing things or or it like hinders you to a point. And some people do have that severity. For me though, I, you know, was a high achiever in school, captain of the soccer team, I did drama, I did art. So it, people, it was hard to see the suffering because I got, I learned to hide it well. And I was also, you know, this, this level higher, I guess, achieving person, um, you know, on the outside. So, um, yeah, that's kind of when it, when it all happened. And I just remember I could not take it one day. I reached out to my mother who 
um, thankfully knew what to do, got me the help I needed. Um, and that's kind of where I got into therapy. I started uh, middle school, early high school. Um, and my first doctor saved my life. And um, I highly value therapy, even if you don't have a mental disorder. Yeah. Um, I think that everyone can benefit from some type of therapy, even just talking to someone that, you know, can listen. Because a lot of people need that. So. No, I agree. That's why I'm going to school for that sort of thing. I haven't fully decided. And I, I don't think I'll decide. It will depend on where I am on my mental health journey, whether I'm going to be a therapist or a professor, but either way, I figured I'm helping people that are going to be helping people. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. it works out either way. But I mean, for me, uh, I was high functioning um, until recently, like after my move, it destroyed destroyed me and I don't know why even like uh, what are we four months later I'm still not quite right it's it's right. been it's been something else yeah but mm -hmm. before that I was super high achieving like I had nothing nothing would stop me but I also wasn't diagnosed or on mood stabilizers until like oh February of this year so yeah, I would in my opinion as a <laughs> Um, just from personal experience, I think you're just still adjusting to everything. Um, and also, I feel like especially um, as women, as moms, as military spouses, as professionals, um, not necessarily in that order, um, you know, I feel like we get really good at kind of pushing the beach ball down under the water and putting everyone's needs before our own. And, uh, and unfortunately, when we do that, it will eventually come kind of splashing up to the surface. And that's right. exactly what happened when my husband left for the year. Um, Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So the day we found out I was going to have my little girl, um, he comes in. I know military spouses, they just, they know when that person comes home and they're like, so you want to talk about stuff? Do you and, want the good news, the oh, bad news, or the really bad yes, news? <laughs> exactly. And he was like, I have to go to Korea. And I literally, la I laughed in his face. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I was like, we're not going to Korea. He's like, well, no, we're not. It's unaccompanied and for a year. And when that, like, hit me, you know, it was all, it was just, that was my first instance. That's what I attribute my first kind of, um, I guess, shock to my system, because up until that point, you know, I had regular therapy, I was on medications that I thought were really working for me. Um, and that was the first, I think, shock to my system that I'm looking back now, um, he was gone for, you know, 365 tour, uh, we could not go with him. Thankfully, my parents took us all in. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that also kind of puts a different kind of tension, um, but I'm forever grateful for them taking us in. It's just hard when, you know, you have an infant and a toddler and all they want is you. So, you know, at the same time, you're kind of taking on that role while your service member's away. Um, and I really don't remember sleeping. I don't remember sleeping. I don't remember, like, or if I did, it was it was really light and I just, I woke up even more exhausted. Um, that's when I picked up a paintbrush and I started to get into my art again. And all of these kind of thoughts that I used to have, you know, in high school and in college, they started to resurface. But if I could just kind of 
draw every day or paint every day or make something with my hands. It was like my way of coping. And that kind of got me thinking, you know, that kind of got me into this whole, like, why can't I use my creative abilities to help others like art has helped me? Um, recently, though, as far as my mental health journey, we, you know, PCS after he came home, and the homecoming was wonderful, you know, it was so great to see him, um, you know, but there is this kind of reintegration period that I don't think is given as much attention as it might need to be given. Of course, the homecoming is, is wonderful, and it's a celebration, and your partner comes back from something, and you have to kind of rebuild your relationship without knowing what a other person has experienced because you can only FaceTime like 4 a.m. for 20 minutes or, you know. Right. Um, yeah, so that's when I think that kind of spark that happened when my husband told me he had to leave, fast forward, you know, got through the year, he came home, and then my daughter was, didn't recognize him, you know. Yeah. And I think that was the second thing. And I think, you know, my story isn't, you know, special. It's, it's my story, but I know a lot of military spouses that do the same thing over and over again and experience the same thing. And it, it is not easy. And I finally just kept kind of going downhill slowly and slowly. Um, and then reached out and got a therapist. Um, Unfortunately, it did take me a while to find the, the help right one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and most of that was they didn't take our insurance or mm -hmm. they weren't taking new patients, even though they were insurance approved. You know, so it, it, it was this long process of just while in crisis advocating for myself and advocating for myself. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that kind of like strength that you have to do just to get help was almost infuriating to me. Um, and that's just, just how that the, you know, the health system works right now, especially with mental health. And so I kind of, that was my advocacy piece that like, I was like, once I get better, I'm going to help people through this because, you know, no wonder there's so many mental health issues and there's so many problems. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there are, there are a lot. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm not alone with like big changes, like rocking your world. I mean, I remember when my husband deployed, it was not his first deployment, but it was my first deployment with him. And uh, that was before I was diagnosed. And I went into a big old manic episode. Mm -hmm. And, uh, or for me, it's, I have bipolar type two, so it's a hypomania. But it was borderlining on full-blown mania. Like, I right. did some shit that I was now looking back. I'm like, what the fuck was I doing? <laughs> right. Like, right. it's difficult because you can't control this. People are like, why don't you just not do that? And I'm like, it's, it's this impulsive thing. It's like, I have to. It's like, I have to do these things. So that, I mean, that's how I experienced what are, I mean, you now have been in treatment for a while, but what are your manic episodes? What do those look like? So my, my manic episodes, I am not necessarily on the extreme hyper side of the bipolar depression. Um, but I, I tend to quote, do it all 
So I, I just continuously stay busy, continuously stay busy, 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 so that I don't have to stop and deal with what I'm feeling in the moment. Um, and some of that's good. Some of that's healthy, you know, to just like have things in your life, to have as distractions, to have something to look forward to. But when you take it to that extreme, that's when you're kind of like, okay, like, you know, like you said, this isn't normal for me. Um, and then I, I more teeter on the side of the depression part. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So what that looks like for me, and this is the thing about mental health is it's different for everyone. Right. Absolutely everyone. It doesn't have a face. It doesn't have a gender. It doesn't have like a visual thing. So people can look at me and see like, oh, look at your paintings. Look at this article you wrote. Like, look at all these things. And they don't realize that while I'm talking and while I'm creating and everything, I am emotionally regulating constantly just to get through the day. Um, and I think that's why, it, you know, it makes it so hard for people to understand who haven't necessarily experienced it. It's because it's not visual. And it takes you know, it takes a lot of kind of understanding yourself and being taught how to deal with your emotions to help you. Um, so my manic side is more creating, yeah, I'll go on the trip with the kids. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll like, you know, do 20 things. It'll be fine. And, and I could get them done. It was not healthy for me. My depression. And you burn out. <laughs> um, person. I would not want to hold my children. I would not want to be touched. I would not want, you know, I would overeat. I would undereat. Um, you know, and I'll, and I just, all of those things that you go through are so, if you, if you don't have someone that kind of guides you through them or, or someone who's been through it to be like, yeah, I go through that too, can be earth shattering. Like what kind of mom doesn't want to hold their or touch their children that they were so lucky to bring into the world. And that was like, you know, a really, really hard thing for me to admit to myself. But it's not me. It's my depression. It's my anxiety. Mm -hmm. It's my PTSD. It's my trauma. Um, and that's when I decided, like, okay, I think I need to go into more of an intensive outpatient program. And it has been a, a game changer for me. I'm so glad I did it. I'm so I'm still in it. And I always before this, I felt like this is just who I was. I'm just made to suffer. I'm just this is just my life. Like this is just how I am functioning, how I'm chemically made up. And on the first day when I was having a panic attack, the therapist walked me through and completely just negated all of that just by breathing just by teaching me different things to get me focused and understand why my brain because it is a brain <laughs> disease really it's not just oh i want to be manic and i want to be you know <laughs> crazy all this quote unquote sorry but no it's, but, you know it's, i don't want to be that way if it was a switch i would switch it off like i don't want to be like that and it's not, it's not in my control. So I need help. And I'm okay saying that. And I hope by advocating and, and talking about it, like we're doing now, more people will feel more comfortable seeking help that need it. Um, yeah, no, I understand. With me, my manias um, are more like overeating, over drinking, hypersexuality is one of mine, um, overspending. And I don't even mean like little oh, bits. Yes. 
I mean like thousands of dollars, like, and not even know where that money went to. Like, that's the worst part is I don't, it's not even like I have like a brand new car to show for this. It's like all these little things that add up, um, and in, in semi big things, but nothing like huge. It's not like I'm spending like a thousand dollars on one thing. I'm spending like a hundred dollars on this thing and then a hundred dollars on this thing or $50 on this thing. But after, after a a mania, I'm looking at thousands of dollars in credit card bills because of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's difficult to explain, especially to my husband who has, is clueless. And he's just like, why, why do you keep doing this? Why? And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't know why I keep doing this. Right. right. Um, and I, am this, I felt that the, the similar way with my kids is I never wanted to be a mom. And I always like, res- I always resented them in a way. And I was always really irritable with them and all of these things. And the mood stabilizers have helped a lot with most of that stuff. And especially right. with feeling like I don't want to be a mom, like, cause I'm like, right. I brought these kids into the, the world for a reason. It's not, I mean, some of them were surprises, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to me, they're all surprises. Even when you plan them, they're all surprises. Right. We planned one and then we got two. Yeah. Um, and one, oh, wow. yeah. yeah. It was like, Oh, we're going to have a baby. No, you're going to have two babies. <laughs> I'm like, that's, I'm that's done now. Thank you for four kids. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, well, and just to kind of validate that overspending, I did the same thing when he was deployed. I now know that it's actually a very common thing to do when you have depression, anxiety, because it is kind of, it's almost like overeating. You get that, your body gets a sensation that like a good hormone is released when you do that because you're like, oh, I know I'm getting something that I want or I need. And, um, you know, and, and just learning those kinds of things have really helped me cope with my actions when I am, you know, in that state. And for me, with my kids specifically, having, um, you know, being a rape survivor and having trauma-based PTSD from it, loud noises. So I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old who scream constantly, loud noises. Um, My daughter loves hard and strong and she will run into me and just give me the biggest hug and my son does that yeah yeah and it it bruised me because she loves me so much but you know it's it's triggering and in those kinds of things it messes with your identity it messes with it brings up a lot of different and strong emotions and to understand those emotions to set boundaries while you know raising children is very you know difficult it's extremely difficult you know yeah I have to say to my son dude you need to ask before you start like hugging and kissing on me I was like it's my personal space and sometimes I'm just I just don't feel like I want somebody to touch me I was like it's not because I don't love you it is because that's my boundary and and right now and plus I'm teaching him to do that with the sisters and other people too because he's like that with everybody it's not just me he will hug a stranger in the store. He has before yeah. I had to have a conversation with like, we don't do that to strangers. You know, right. that's just how he is. That's just his personality. So yes, right. having boundaries is very important. Well, 
And I'm really glad you brought up that communication with your children because that is so important if you're struggling with mental health. I used to think, you know, we don't talk about it. I don't let them see me cry. I don't let them see me, you know, in a panic attack. I don't, you know, all of that is BS. Okay. Your kids know, they know that you're struggling. They see you, they feel it. And once I started explaining, especially because my son does have anxiety issues already surfacing and, and we're working with him through the school and also, you know, at home. Once I started talking to him and saying, you know, I had a long day today. I'm really sad. My, I feel very sad and down. And sometimes I scream when that happens. You just did that. Is that what, is that what you're feeling too? And he goes, yeah, I feel that too. And he's four, four, you know, and my daughter, same thing. I'm like, can you ask me if I'm ready to have a hug before you give me a hug? Right. Like, uh-huh. So like they, they get a lot more than what we like, we give them credit for, especially at a young age. And I want, I want them to see me emotional. I want them to see me struggle and then work through my anxiety and work through my emotions. And I'm already teaching them how to emotionally regulate because that's what our children need. They don't need to see like a strong mom that eventually just cracks, which is what happened to me. They need to see someone that has real honest emotions and learns how to work through them and gives them the skills to cope with all of what we have going on in the world, but also internally. And I think that's a very important fact. And I would, I would definitely just kind of your snaps for that. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to do the snap thing now. Apparently it's cool. I don't know. (laughs) It comes from a, Oh, what is it? It's Reese Witherspoon um, is in it. Uh, It's uh, legally blunt. Yes. I secretly love that movie. I do too. (laughs) Part of it is because I am blonde and I was just like, yeah, I, people picked on me growing up and about being blonde. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to embrace it. I I know that I'm not a dumb blonde. I get it. But you know, sometimes I do some really, I have blonde moments. Uh, Yes. Yeah. I put the Cheerios in the freezer the other day and we can find them in the morning for breakfast. And we were frantic because, of course, two-year-olds need Cheerios or else yeah. it's like, like their day's shot. And then I happened to open the freezer and I was like, oh, there's the bag of Cheerios. So, you know. <laughs> you said really cold Cheerios in the morning. Right. She ate them, so I'm doing something right. I don't know. She didn't care. <laughs> I don't think they're picky at that age. They are to a certain extent. No. Like, I want the Cheerios. Yes. But they're not going to care if the Cheerios like, came off the floor or right. if they're, they're cold or where they came from. They just want the damn Cheerios. Yeah, exactly. But I, I mean, speaking of t- talking to our children, I want, I want people to take that away. Um, I also tell them, like, if, if I'm feeling depressed, which doesn't happen as often now that I'm on the mood stabilizers, but still sometimes I get there or I get on the verge. It's like being on a cliff and you're just kind of hanging there. You're like, ah, I don't want to (laughs) fall. And so I'll tell them. What? I say you try to resist and then gravity just kind of takes over eventually. (laughs) Well, I tell them, I'm like, mommy's not feeling good. And they're like, oh, are you sick? Do you have a tummy ache? And I was like, no, mentally, I'm not feeling good. I'm feeling really sad right now. I mean, sad 
it doesn't really cover it, but for eight right. and 10 year olds, they don't understand what depression is. Um, so <laughs> with my 16 year old, I'll tell her, I'll be like, I'm depressed. Like, you know, I'm just, I, and she understands she's had depression herself. So mm -hmm. she, she understands what that's like, but you know, really having honest conversations with our kids and not like sugarcoating it, not I know, of course, you shouldn't be like, my life sucks. Everything sucks. No. <laughs> no, but I, I think, um, you know, two things. You kind of um, clarifying that you're not sick. Like, my husband used to say, like, you know, oh, mom has a headache or mommy just, you know, doesn't feel well. And I'm like, no, like, I feel, you know, physically okay it's mentally so making that distinction goes a very long way because then they think oh I can have a mentally you know tough day it's not just a physical thing you know and and you know some mental health it's like it does take you over you over physically I get body aches I get you know tense shoulders I get knots everywhere um, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about more like when you get a cold, it's, you know, because mental health and getting a cold or getting sick like that are two completely different things. And it's very prevalent and they should know about it. And that's our job is to equip them for what is out there. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I agree. <laughs> uh, and I try to explain it the best I can to them, you know, at age appropriately, there's just some things they're not going to be able to understand, but you know, for years, I would just tell them like, I was sick. Oh, I, I'm sick. And I'm sick. Now I'll be like, I'm not feeling well. And they will right. ask me why. And I tell them why, you know, or even if they don't ask why, because I am, I'm not sick. I am sick. <laughs> I'm not sick in a physical manner, but I'm sick right. like in my head. There's something right. going wrong up there that right. is causing this to happen. Um, so it's a different kind of illness that we're dealing with and our kids and other people need to know that I share very openly right. on Facebook. Facebook's my, my platform that I love. I share very openly on Facebook about my mental health struggles. And I know some people think like I'm, I know some people think I'm just whining, but I share it because mm -hmm. I want other people to know that they're not alone. Like I want other right. people to read that and be like, Oh, somebody else feels this way too. Right. Exactly, exactly. And, and I think you brought up um, a good point where I don't, when you stop and think about the impact our words have and the words that we choose to describe something, especially with our children, you can either choose to perpetuate a stigma or to negate that stigma. And for me, that is something that, you know, I do fail on it. There are times where I say things without thinking because we have been conditioned a certain way, depending on society you grew up in, depending on your family structure and all that. And when I catch myself or just in the day to day, I'm going to try my best to use words that are impactful and specific to the problems that I'm experiencing. So it, it does mean a lot um, to use words that actually you know, describe what's going on and right. don't just negate them or lump them in with something. Um. Yeah. No, with, uh, with my youngest daughter, uh, today she stayed home from school cause she missed the bus. Her two siblings got on the bus. She was lollygagging, having tears running down her little face. She was like, we live on this dirt road. And so at the beginning of the dirt road or the end of the dirt road is a fork one side is a farm and one side is our house. 
Well, she's up at the top of the hill where our house is, and we're all the way down where the bus is, like a quarter of a, a quarter, maybe a quarter of a mile away. It's not, it's, it's, it's about a thousand steps. <laughs> she's just bawling and I can hear her, but I had to get the other two on the bus and I come back and I said, I'm not taking you to school today. And she said, they had a half day anyways. And she was just like, but I want to go to school. I was like, one, I'm not putting your teacher through this. Like, I'm not doing that to her. And two, you, I think you need a day to just relax and calm down. Right. Because you could tell there was something going on with her and she couldn't Mm -hmm. verbalize it, but she was really upset. And I was like, it's not one, it's not fair to her teachers, for a teacher to have to figure that out. And two, she was obviously so upset that why would I send her to school like that? It's okay for a kid to have a mental health day. Like why aren't exactly. mental health days a thing? Like why can't like work? Why can't work be like you have this many mental health days? You don't even have to be sick or give right. extra sick days so people can call in and just be like honest, be like, today's a really bad day. I'm super yeah. depressed. If I come in, I'm not going to get anything done. So and imagine the productivity from just doing that. And those are the kind of systematic, like systemic ways that propels this like stigma around mental health you know and and in my article um that i did write um you know i talk about being courageously vulnerable and imagine a military that valued mental health just as much as it valued combat and battle imagine what we could achieve if we first you know worked on the human connection and I'm not saying the compl- it's never going to be like a complete like one side or the other. It's finding a middle ground because obviously there are jobs in the military where you have to be a certain level of competence- competency. And I kind of want to put that out there. Like that's not what I'm saying. What I'm right. saying is that, you know, they wonder why this stigma is still around. And it's because it's, it's not systemically being brought down to the base level. And, and not people aren't necessarily talking about it like this. They feel like they can't talk about it like this because, you know, of a lot of different factors where the military was being perceived with, you know, being written up. And even though, even though, um, you know, I did find um, a federal policy that is trying to negate the stigma that said, you know, they can talk about mental health. It's fine to talk about mental health. You're not going to be written up. Um, but that's not necessarily what the troops and what the airmen and what the, you know, who the service members are, are really hearing. Mm-hmm. So it's that disconnect that I kind of want to work on because this is my community. This is my husband. This is my friends. This is, you know, and, and we're, we really all are, all are in this together. And it's that kind of passion for mental health and for the love of our service and our country that we need to kind of really step back and say, okay, we have the statistics, right? We know it's not working. Like, why is it not working? Maybe we should try something different. Um, No, I agree. And I think different uh, commands are different about it. So we've been at commands that were super supportive, like my husband, Uh, we went through something with his dad and it wrecked my husband and he was like not in a good place and they, his command was super supportive and they sent him to, they have, so he's on submarines. They have a special Mm -hmm. mental health for submariners, 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 um, because of their job and how 
uh, taxing mentally it can be. Um, but they also treat them for other things as well. I mean, there are certain things that you can't be on antidepressants. You, you can't right. be on anything that is mind altering and be on a submarine. Um, right. That's just their, their job. But um, it's what, what the rules are for that. And I understand that the rules are there for a reason. Um, but he was able to go and he was able to talk to somebody. And the only time they told him that they would say anything to his command as if they honestly felt that he was not um, ready to be out to sea. Right. Because that's, that's, um, that's the safety of others as well. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, I'm glad you like reiterated that because that's exactly the kind, it's more of a balance because you do have commanders that are supportive and that's wonderful because I think that means that the change is starting and it's, it's, starting to go through the branches. And then you have times where it's not necessarily like that. So there's not this like level kind of understanding that I think, you know, is what is wanted. It's just not necessarily there yet. And I think by just doing what we're doing now, discussing things like we are, I think it'll just kind of help it move along to where it is more level throughout, you know, the whole military in general. I'd love to change pace a little bit and talk about how you're using art to spread awareness on, on men, and mental health um, because we're getting lower on time. So I would, I definitely yes. want to cover that before, uh, before Yay. we finish. I am so glad I could, I am so glad you brought that up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I could talk about mental health and art like all day. So you got to cut me off before <laughs> you're going too long. But um, so I had, you know, this idea of the benefits that I've received with my bipolar depression and, and my coping me mechanisms that I've received just by doing art, just by creating something, just by, you know, the colors, the different colors that have effects on us. And it made me think it's like, well, why don't we teach this for people that are in the military? We do it at the end, end date. It's, it's very, art therapy is very helpful for, um, you know, TBI, so traumatic brain injuries. It's really helpful for PTSD. And right now it's, it's mostly discussed at the end, either with veterans or with, you know, people that have already been on tour. So my thought process was, well, why don't we flip it and do both ends of the spectrum? Maybe give them ways to cope and like just a tool in their toolbox where, hey, I'm deployed, I can write, or I can draw, or I can do this, and I can just get that emotion out, and that's okay. Um, so that's my end goal. Right now, I'm working on a five by seven foot painting of <laughs> people in the military community. Um, a while back, I, I just asked on my Instagram um, for those that, you know, are suffering from mental health, have struggled with it, or have known someone, have been affected, and are in a place that they want to be like, yeah, I have it. And my idea was to put faces to the problem. Because it's one thing to read, you know, policies and memorandums and like you told statistics, but quite another when you see families, you see children, you see women, you see men, you see veterans, and you have to look in their faces. So my idea was to kind of create that with the community's help and I have been overwhelmed with just the support for this project is so exciting for me yourself included I'm so yeah excited. that's how we met is <laughs> yes, I was is. tagged 
like two or three times in that <laughs> by <Yeah>. different people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I'm working on it. It's a huge piece. I think I've been doing it for months now. I want to say like months. Um, and it'll probably take me six more months. But what I'm doing now is I'm just I'm raising awareness. I'm sharing people's stories who want to share their stories and specific struggles. I'm calling attention to, you know, the community that suffers. And I think that my end goal would be to either get it in a gallery or just shown somewhere where I could advocate, I could talk about it and just kind of, you know, have a visual for who this affects. Because like I said before, it doesn't have, it doesn't have a face. It doesn't care, like, you know, what you look like or, you right. know, what gender, anything. And it affects all of us. So let's just start a conversation, create human connection, and look at some awesome artwork while we do it. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my project now. And I am in social work, so I'm a graduate social work student. So my goal is to kind of combine my artwork aspect and my kind of skills as a social worker once I am in the government um, kind of field placement opportunity and, and kind of see how we can better merge those two ideals and help people cope with everyday stressors. Yeah, I, I love that because it's quite similar to the reason I started back to school for psychology is because I really wanted to help other people who have had this similar struggles to me. You know, mm -hmm. a, a lot of what triggers mental illness is trauma. And so yeah. I'm really interested in working with people with trauma and how does trauma affect our brain? If, if I decide mm -hmm. to go the therapist route and I'm in a good place mentally that I can do that. Mm -hmm. I'm well aware that I don't know what my mental health journey is going to take me or where it's going to take me. So I don't mm -hmm. want to put myself in a box and be like, I'm going to be a therapist. And then I can't yeah. down the road because you know, something's right. going on. Uh, so yeah, that it's, it's similar. I, I really want to help other people in some way, shape or form uh, because mental illness is so prevalent and it's uh, mm -hmm. something that so many people are, are going through and there's such a stigma still attached to it. And I feel like, mm -hmm. like you've said multiple times is the more we talk about it, yeah. the less stigma there is. And so my favorite stories to feature on the podcast are mental health journeys because mm -hmm. I mean, everybody's is different and mm -hmm. everybody has a, a different reason for wanting to share. Uh, so I'd love to have you wrap this up and leave us with, you know, either a collection of, of things or, you know, something, you know, that you want to leave the inspired women audience with about anything we've talked about or maybe something we didn't talk about. Okay, so one thing I find myself saying um, either to myself as a mantra or just, you know, in general in my Instagram posts or to other people is, you know, you are never as alone as you may feel in that moment because it is so easily easy to isolate and to feel like you're the only one suffering and that you shouldn't speak up because of that. And I just want, I just need, I think someone just needs to hear that you're not alone in this and that other people struggle. Um, the second thing is, I would say, you know, if you if you feel like you need help, reach out and get help. It doesn't change who you are. It's just like going in for a checkup for your body, except you're going in and you're learning how to deal with your mind and give your, your body something that it needs so that you can function and be the best person that you can be. Um, and then kind of find your village. Find, use, your, use your talents. I think if, if we 
sit back and, and really analyze what our talents are, what we bring to the table, and then group that with other people and try to kind of push ourselves outside of our boundaries and try to start conversations, that's when the real magic happens. Um, and that's kind of another thing I say. I'm like, go out and create magic. All it takes is like eye contact, a smile, or just like, hey, how are you? How's it going? You know, that human connection is that magic. And once we start doing that, I think the mental health issues will be easier to kind of dissect. So I love that. I say, I realize I say I love that a lot when I'm doing podcasts. I listen to these, oh, it's cool. like when they air, I'll listen to them again. I'm like, man, I say I love that a lot, but usually I mean it. Like I just, especially when it's we're talking fine. about mental health, but thank you so much, Anne, for coming on the thank podcast you. today. Thank you for having me. I, I'm so excited to share. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.